This episode of the Darko Audio Podcast is brought to you by Blue Sound. Click to bluesound.com before December 31st to score a half-price vault. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Dark Audio Podcast. With me this time out is one Tom Vec. Welcome, Tom. Thanks. Hi. Now, Tom, you're a musician, multi-instrumentalist, graphic designer, and also, now it would seem, a an audio hardware product designer. Um, <laughs> That's which, right. Which one, of these, which, which one of these should we tackle first? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I tend to... Um... You know, if, if people ask for some history, it tends to um, uh, get a bit elaborated. So we can maybe start with the most recent thing, if you like. <laughs> um, but I don't mind. Maybe a little bit of context is probably relevant. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been making records for like 20 years, 25 years. I'm, I'm not quite sure on the timeline there. Okay, um, let's see. First one came out in 2005. Um, mm. I kind of had a like a spattering of sort of indie releases uh, before that point. But. Um, right. the earliest thing I suppose was sort of like 2001 so let's say coming up for 20 years I suppose which is sounds crazy right I, I don't want to make you feel old or anything like that but <laughs> so but you you've how would you I mean I listen to your music and I think okay well actually when I first heard it you sort of came on my radar at the same time as the first LCD sound system album so right. yeah mid noughties right yeah so I, I don't know whether rightly or wrongly you were lumped into that sort of like dance punk um, oh yeah group right i mean did you identify with that at all or is that something you kind of just think is a bit silly uh i i i, I do actually and I, i'm quite i'm sort of happy i mean i'm very flattered to be uh, lumped in with james murphy and his uh you know sounds and achievements because mm. um it, around that time i remember vividly there was such a kind of healthy vibrant scene in london i was um studying at the time studying graphic design and we were going to mm. uh clubs like trash and djs like errol alcan were playing lcd sound system oh, okay. and that song losing my edge was like a leaning over the dj booth you know shouting at him being like what is this song and he said something <laughs> and then i right. go to hmv and and I'm relaying this this kind of like uh you know garbled translation to the to the to the guy in hmv i remember i'm like it's mm. like L LSD something. It was just a. It was wrong. But the the guy in HV managed to be like, maybe you mean this. And you know, it's like this losing my edge on on twelve inch. And I and I took it home and uh, bands like that and um, th uh, the Rapture as well were having a big mm -hmm. influence on on me and my friends, all the bands that we were in, and we were just literally listening to those records, dancing to them, and and like and the next day we would be in a rehearsal in like a dingy rehearsal studio just trying to play them basically trying to play those disco beats on the drums and you know the angulus mm. kind of guitars and and that was and it did sound like really new and fresh to us as well because i never really it's like people come along and be like oh you know it's it's kind of like gang of four and it'd be oh, like okay so i would pick up a gang of four record but i find i mean i'm kind of mellowing into the idea of tracing music back a bit more now but at the time it was mm -hmm. much more interesting to me to uh to be interested in the bands that were like active you know what i mean it's like as far as i was concerned yes. rapture was brand new lcd sound system was brand new and they were bands that you could that you could you could see live and and new music was coming out you know uh imminently mm. so 
it, yeah, it was super, super fun. And suddenly from kind of playing grunge, uh, growing up with, with sort of like more grunge stuff, like Pumpkins, Rage Against Machine, learning how to play mm. drums and guitar, uh, just trying to work out how to play those songs. Um, and then this kind of mixture and then, and the more electronic side coming in and I'm kind of messing around with little Casio keyboards or um, I'd actually borrowed an 808 off uh of of a guy and without you know before that had it's kind of like you know before it was like a a seminal piece of uh, a gear i was right. just borrowing it. i was actually using it to control something else um hmm. but yeah experimenting with with bits of electronics but still in a still in a pretty kind of lo-fi way um was all getting wrapped together and and, and kind of led to led to my first record which was actually a bit of a swing back into into kind of rocky guitars i was i was trying to make electronica for a for, for a moment um sort of distorted oh. kind of stuff but um yeah so uh because yeah yeah because the mid for me i mean i was living in, in sydney in australia at the time and oh, the mid noughties were a very exciting time for what you would now call indie rock mm. like guitars were very prominent in sort of i don't want to call it alternative music but like club music that wasn't dance music right mm. guitars were big and then at about 2010 it all just seemed to fade away and everyone all went metronomy on us you know with, with keyboards and <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think i was sort of observing it's obviously because it sort of um be- became bigger as well i think obviously with like klaxons and um that sort yeah. of stuff um and some really good stuff. I remember like Friendly Fires. I was like, well, this is, this is great. That Friendly Fires jump mm. in the pool song was like, I wish that's, I wish I'd written that song. It was huge. <laughs> um, and I guess right. like anything, I think the next thing kind of has to, has to come along. And then there was a bit of a, I suppose, I feel like it was the last, I think uh, uh, like what followed it seemed a bit more throwback. I think it, it did feel like the mid 2000s things that, that you're talking about did feel quite sort of progressive in terms of mm-hmm. um you know all these bands trying to work out how to how to basically you know have synths in in their live setup and stuff like that and like uh npcs and um mm. it, it, with my stuff it was like trying to work out how to how to translate um some of this more interesting studio stuff in, into the live show um was was a bit of a riddle and we did very uh in a very lo-fi fashion for the first record but by the second record i kind of managed to develop this system of like loops and and one hits and using uh like an mpc controller to, to get a lot of that in which was a lot of work but it was kind of rewarding uh, okay. because you wanted it you wanted it to stay live um uh because i knew bands i talked to bands they were just like i oh, just use a click track we just run it off this crazy like multi-track thing that, that sits on a rack at the at the side of the stage but that always kind of stressed me out slightly so um that <laughs> that whole side of things um yeah, you know, it's, it's it's fun. It's like pro- problem solving, um, and and it never really held me back with studio stuff because with my music, it's uh, always me in a in the studio, kind of kind of doing it, and I never really think, mm. you know, I'm layering up like six guitars, and I'm not thinking like, how am I going to play this live? I'm like, I'll just worry about that later. <laughs> um, and and in some senses, it is like a translation. I mean, I think this is where the the James Murphy analogy comes in because he plays all of the mm. LCD sound system instruments in the studio, right? And yeah. then afterwards worries about how to get his band to reproduce it live. Mm. So, you know, I, I guess that's what I, I assume that you're doing in the studio is like layering a whole bunch of stuff and putting it all together yourself. Yeah. And then I don't, I mean, is it very hard for you to play it live or is it pretty easy to kind of translate it? Um, 
there was a sort of um the, the learning curve like initially trying to work out how to do it because particularly with my second record there was lots more sort of loops kind of loops with kind of rhythmic artifacts in, in them and stuff and um mm-hmm. initially we were we were running an mpc that just like kind of washy paddy loops you could kind of get away with but this mm-hmm. time I tried a load of different systems and I'd still say, I mean, I haven't checked in for a moment, but it was still, it's still a bit of a riddle, like what the best system to use for for live is, because I was, I was checking out Ableton Live a lot and this, the mm. system that I was running at the time, it was just a bit sort of, didn't quite make sense to me for what I wanted to put together. And mm. also there's all these like additional things like my computer, if it crashed, it would take like a minute to open up again. And I was like a minute on stage is like, is like half an hour. <laughs> yeah. And, and, <laughs> yes. and all these things that you think about, it's like, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'd always carry around a spare laptop just in case as well. So I'm kind of like, you know, these things that you don't, most of the time you don't need, but it's like, if, if, mm. if in the heat of the moment, I need to swap out a laptop live on stage, it's like, I'd, I'd have to prepare for that outcome and stuff, which I'd have to say is like extremely stressful. But, um, but mostly I worked out a system that worked really well. It was all like, it's all loops. It was this like loop. Uh, each song would have its own like set of loops, um, that could be muted and unmuted. So it's a bit mm. like having a, having a mixing desk right there, but there would also be this click yeah. track that would go to my drummer but we wouldn't hear it. So it was because some bands will have in ears and, and everyone's getting the click, but yeah, the drummer, the drummer gets the click. Um, we don't hear it. So we can kind of count us in and it feels very, it feels live. Then it's like, we, I can, we we can be walking on stage and I can say, uh, let's keep playing that chorus until I give you a nod, uh, mm. to, to kind of feedback from the audience, you know, like if they're really enjoying it, then you can just play mm. things out forever. And that, that's what makes stuff feel kind of live to me is that, um, you know, there's the element of unknown or a song might be elaborated on slightly, or at least kind of, kind of drawn out. Um, mm. uh, cause it can be quite fun to, to, to play with that sort of stuff live. But, um, yeah, no, the, the live thing was cool. It's all about constraints. Like we had, I had a four piece band for a bit and then there was one show. If, I think it was actually a show in, australia that we just couldn't afford to bring four people so then i had to work out mm. how to play it as a three-piece and then from that point on it's like okay fine we're, we're, we're a three-piece but me myself and two guys um can mm. pretty much play uh the tom vet catalog up to the third record i haven't actually worked out how to play this new album um hasn't haven't actually opened that box yet because there's no uh live offers <laughs> yet <laughs> right yes <laughs> um you know I was thinking also, actually, so I want to ask you one more question about your music career before we get on to the other thing. Sure. Is that between albums, between your albums, there's there's a number of years, right? So you kind Mm. of, there's usually a five, maybe longer year gap. Every time you come to release a record, do you find that the, the mechanism through which music is released has changed significantly or music is consumed or? Well, I mean, most noticeably and most like profoundly was between the, the two the first and second records definitely mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i have to say that like i am really grateful that i got to release an album in like the old-fashioned music industry <laughs> like early right, so 2000s. 2005 right, right yeah right. exactly and you know the album was being done it was released in 2005 but things take, take ages it was like we were working on it in 2003 probably 2004 you know it's mm-hmm. like um, it's getting finished and then and then the label's like, right, okay, here's our sort of, you know, like five months lead up or longer even for it coming out. Mm. And 
you know, it was like you would rip a CD for your friend to hear it and everything. And 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 there was so much importance uh, based on this uh, CD coming out, and people would have to go to the shops mm-hmm. to hear it. And that's what that that's the kind of culture that I had grown up with. It was like I would I'd go into HMV and I'd reserve a copy of this like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this abstract band they're unlikely to sell out of you know this 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 band whose cd i wanted but it was like it was just the kind of um ritual of the whole thing being I, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan i've got to get it as soon as it's available um and from a kind of um cr- creative standpoint uh i'm designing uh all the artwork and i'm i've mm. always looked forward to this point i actually used to design um kind of kind of uh, pre- uh pretend uh releases let's say that i would print out on my home computer and like uh, <laughs> on my printer and cut them out and put them into snap them into a jewel case and and imagine mm. uh you know because that that was the thing that felt real to me um mm. and then uh so first that that album was 2005 second record 2011 and mm. i'd kind of been aware of this happening in the meantime um it's like itunes has turned up and uh you know there was the whole sort of um uh, uh, uproar at the time, which seems, you know, in in hindsight, seems silly, but people were upset about uh, uh, albums being debundled and the fact that somebody could just buy a single track. Mm-hmm. Yes, was was one thing, but for me, the the most the most the thing that I noticed and was most sort of initially frustrated about was was the artwork and packaging side. It was like the front cover was now this thumbnail. Uh, mm. There was nothing else. And also there was just this other aesthetic accompanying it. You know, there was there was the iTunes uh, aesthetic that was just a bit sort of joyless. You know, it was just like a list of text. And, right. th- you know, I think since then, I suppose, I suppose since then, uh, by the time the third record came out, luck, we're, we're firmly into streaming. So that's another thing. Um, and I'm thinking actually, even looking back at it, I think even then, I'm, I'm having these very uh, like like brow um, furrowed conversations with my label when them they're, they're trying to suggest that uh, it should come out on Spotify first before the CD or something, and I'm thinking like, what what is going on? Is everyone crazy? <laughs> like, don't don't you want people to buy the seat? Don't you want to incentivize physical purchases? And they're like, mm. oh no, it's a Spotify thing. It's better for this. It's better for that. You know, they're they're more likely to put you on a playlist or whatever, which is quite topical topically being discussed at the moment i think but yes so um and then i don't know and so i think by the album four now i'm sort of like um yeah i suppose i'm in the in the chapter of being like um i'm actively trying to do i'm actively trying to contribute to uh the music release um uh uh you know landscape with some other ideas because so far it seems to have got like like it, it's hard to explain, uh, you know. I could uh, the, the debate could rage whether it's better or worse, um, uh, you know. From I mean, you know, career standpoint, I suppose. But but I just know that it just mm. felt, it's just increasingly been feeling like a like like more and more anticlimactic um, from an artist's perspective. So that's that's the you know uh, position I can I can take there. But there was nothing like like it coming people having to people having to buy it on CD or record was mm. was great because you you just knew that you could sort of control this experience you know they'd pick it up they'd open it right. they'd look through the booklet they'd check out the tracks and you kind of had control over certain things like do you did you want to let people know how long the songs were did you want to put a hidden track on there 
things like mm. that, you know, that, that, that interested me. I was crazy about all that stuff. I actually ended up not really doing any of it, but in the years building up, I was, um, I, I like that, that one time that I noticed that somebody did a hidden track before, um, the track one marker on a CD. I don't know if you've ever come across that. You could actually rewind. Yeah. Yeah. Blur did that. I think uh, right. one of dies did that, you know, there was a N- few nice. of them, yeah. yeah. I had an Ash record that did it. I think the right. guys, it's just like audio of one of the guys throwing up, I think. But like ever since then, every <laughs> album went in my CD player and I hit rewind straight away just to check. You know? so, uh, <laughs> that I, can't, I, 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 I think, yeah, it's it's nice having those little Easter eggs, isn't it? I, I mm. guess with streaming, the, the, all the surprise is gone because That's you it. know what the Spotify interface is going to look like. And it is more Spotify than it is artist artwork. Yep. You know what I mean? It's like black and green. Absolutely. So that's right and then there are no hidden tracks anymore because how how do you i mean you could put it buried it bury it in the last song with a, a large <laughs> gap of silence which is used to be the standard way of doing it but i know and that's annoying for sit- the for the for the playlist <coughs> shuffler or whatever isn't it the 20 yeah, minutes because of then silence. you can't put you can't put it on a playlist because no one's going to play a 20 minute song you're like, exactly yeah, song, yeah. even though right so all of these sort of yeah these, these little easter eggs i mean from my point of view having written about audio and obviously streaming has been a huge part of that in the last 10 years, Mm. more than ever, I'm feeling and being more cognizant of artists complaining about streaming, both in terms of remuneration and it being a pretty soulless experience Mm. for some of them. And also that feeding back into the consumer base. I think more people, you know, sort of out there in the world are now aware that Maybe the, the sort of the, the streaming dream isn't the sort of audio nirvana that was sort of mm. promised earlier on, right? Mm. And for me, you know, the, streaming gives you that tyranny of choice. You yeah. have e- every possibility, so you end up playing nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. It's because the buffet you just thing. Just yeah, can't. yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, this is well known psycho- a well known psychological effect, right? It's the yeah. tyranny of choice. So there's that, but I think, you know, you as somebody who strikes me as a very aesthetically driven person who likes the whole experience, like mm. me, I mean, we could talk about Rune. I don't know whether you're aware of what Rune is. Uh, yeah, I, I am a bit, and it'd be great to, to to talk more about that, yeah. Yeah, but that, um, you know, that aesthetically driven streaming experience for me is probably the future that I would love to see where there is more artwork. And yeah. you're, trying to, you're trying to sort of do your part for that with your new... Um, hardware project called Sleeve Note, right? That's it. Yeah. So yeah. It, can you tell us? Can you tell us what that is, Tom? Uh, I will. Yeah. Um, Sleeve Note is a standalone music player, and it's all built around having a square screen, uh, which makes it sort of fit for purpose for showing album art. Mm. Um, comes from a kind of manifesto of um, where to where to, what's the most kind of faithful reproduction of music mm-hmm. and uh you know a- a- having it on a device that's not a multi-use device as well so you don't have that distraction there's sort of like mm-hmm. two two sides of it it's, it's like how the artist wants to be you know presenting music in the best way mm-hmm. and then also offering a kind of listening habit that is actually mm-hmm. gonna that is actually going to be better for your like relationship with music um, I feel like are the two angles of it. Right. Because 
having spoken recently to Alessandro Cortini, who I don't know where you know, plays synths for Nine Inch Nails and is a solo oh, artist. Nice. Uh, and then also Reggie Watts, who is mm. a comedian, but also is the band leader for uh, James Corden's show in America. Both mm. of those guys said to me, you know, independently of each other, I like single purpose devices. I don't, you know, like if I've got a phone, oh, yes, it does everything, but but I much prefer, you know, music on a portable player and then a camera to be just a camera, right? Yeah. Now, both these guys are probably, you know, a little bit, little bit younger than me. I mean, I'm 48, so they're probably like early 40s, mid 40s. So mm. <clears throat> they remember the time before, you know. <laughs> the interesting thing that I think, what 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 happened? An interesting nuance, I think, is that um, like single single purpose tech is is one thing, but I remember being resistant to the idea of the iPod anyway when it first came mm. out, and it was because it was like it was replacing a whole library of releases um, mm. with a piece of technology, and it's kind of like a, a system, a sort of music system beforehand uh, consisted of the content which was the releases mm. but also the player platform which was your hi-fi mm. and i've always loved you know uh great hi-fi design and uh the industrial design side of things which would be great to talk more about as well yes yes but but i think that what came along it's like the, the choice when 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 these things kind of got kind of smudged together mm. what came out the other end was much more well initially with the ipod was much more of a of of the hi-fi thing of the it's the disman it's the you know the mini disc player and mm. the release has gone and and i think the and that was so much that was that was what you would hold you know the hi-fi would be on mm -hmm. a shelf and it would be doing it it would be it would be um kind of its responsibility would be getting the the the, the sound out um mm -hmm. and so I, it was around the time, it was a good 10 years ago now, that and, and around early iPod time where I was thinking like, why am I feeling like like a bit frustrated about this, even though I love uh, technology and gadgets? And mm. I kind of felt like it's because this, you know, the, the physical object um, and the individual kind of isol isolated object had, had, had gone. And mm. back then I was like, what if it was a square, a square screen that could just pretend to be any album at any one time and mm. instead of it being like this is all your music it would be that but it would also be like one thing at a time so um the process that i went on developing which was initially an app that's been ar around for a bit and we've actually just completely rebuilt it was mm. to 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 have an app version of that so it's like you you have everything you can see everything but when you're when you're on one album it just takes up the whole screen. It's just like one at a time. Mm. So you can kind of have this single. So it's not like, a, it's like, um, instead of single <clears throat> use, it's kind of like single focus. You, you know what I mean? It's sort of um, mm -hmm. yes. one yes. album at a time. Like you would, you would put an album on and mm. yeah. So sleeve note is basically a transportable um, music player that you install music onto and you've got a headphone socket on the side and then the main interface is a, is a square screen probably i think i read it's just less than seven inches and uh, it's 7.5 yeah. inches diagonal actually oh, which is more, the thing sorry. that um yeah the thing that i uh, actually d d 
discovered um, during this process is that seven inches, mm. seven inch records are seven by seven, 12 inches records are, are 12 by 12, but screen size is commonly uh, talked about in a diagonal. So yes. um, there were these points, I have this diagram where I've got all these different square sizes up and I'm, re I'm referring to what's the same, um, you know, what's the equivalent mm. of, <laughs> but mm. a, a 12 inch, sc uh, a screen the size of a 12 inch record would actually be a seven inch diagonal, a 17 inch diagonal display, which is, which is actually pretty, uh, pretty massive. Okay. Yes. Anyway, we're on seven and a half. I thought there was something cute about it being seven inch, but it's actually it's not the same size as seven. Once <laughs> it's in its um, once it's in its casing and, and everything, it's uh, it, it's approaching the size of a seven inch, but it's bigger than a CD. Right. But it's the main interface is obviously a touchscreen, right, which yep. displays the album cover in its entirety, edge to edge, right. Yep. And then you can use the 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 back cover art and the track listing on the back and you can sort of push the song names with your finger and it will play mm -hmm. that song right yeah. is that i don't want to be i don't want to oversimplify so tell me if i am because no that's exactly it and i mean i, I want it it's all about being being simple um hmm. and i'll try and keep this uh this con concise but um I've been I've been paying attention to to this for a long time and uh, uh, mm. like how to, how to make a like a compelling format for digital music and it's been tried a bit and uh i don't know if you remember itunes lp that was like um a, a kind of oh, with, desktop with based yeah it was like it was weird because you you can get pdfs on itunes maybe still pdf booklets mm. they ne mm. never translated over to the to the portable devices which seemed like like kind of bizarre mm. but lp was like it was like a full screen mac desktop experience and uh it, it would the thing about it was you would you wouldn't get consistency you would sort of be tracks would be on different pages and you know you didn't know what you were going to get and and lp's kind of kind of fizzled out and i also heard at the time from labels that it was actually very expensive to 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 submit an lp uh to itunes let alone the fact that a designer would have to take something that was square and make it like mm. uh screen landscape uh Port, um, ratio oh okay yeah yeah, and stuff like that and i think it was expensive to deliver it even so it was like they would do it for for special releases and stuff but it wasn't really like a kind of democratically available um platform mm. and it wasn't on and it was and it was uh, you know around the time just around the time the first ipads were coming out and they weren't doing an ipad version so they obviously weren't like um committed to it but mm. that led me down the thing of being like well you know album art's been square since the beginning of time um uh, and how can we make it easy to kind of, to kind of ingest all this stuff and make it work well, mm. and then, and then make a system that, that, that means that you know how to navigate a record. So on one hand, you want it to be, you want to allow it to be really interesting and unusual and, and mysterious, but at the same time, it's like, if you want to, I want to go play this track, how do I do it? So Mm. having having actually tried a few different things early version of sleeve note the app actually actually flipped over so you would uh slide it uh, and it would flip round and that's how you would see the back cover um mm. when we just had uh the, the back cover track list which felt very kind of vinyly it was a bit sort of skeuomorphic in that in that sense but we've actually sort of the, the latest version now which i'm i'm pleased to get to this to this kind of evolution of it is to slide over so you slide you slide to the left to reveal mm -hmm. the track list. And there's always that one track list image is there. And then mm. you slide to the right to get into your booklet. 
Um, oh, and we're okay. now supporting like a full, the full booklet experience as well, which was always the elephant in the room with like early version of sleeve note was like, mm. where's the full booklet. Um, but the thing about the track list stuff is it's like you, if it, it works, firstly, it works well being that way around because for gatefold, um, vinyl, if you imagine mm. that you're un- unfolding it and, and looking at the, what's the front and the back sort of in front of you, the mm-hmm. track list is always on the left and a lot of, um, you know, there are a lot of cool gatefold covers that actually continue into the, into the back cover. You know, mm. there's like, uh, Bowie's there's like diamond dogs has diamond a kind dogs, of yeah, yeah. yeah exactly so there, there are some great ones and there's a beastie boys mm. uh, one that, that we use a lot as an example and mm. it works it kind of joins that back up with its front and back companion um and like i said you always know how to get to the track so so now we've established this format that i think is 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 is, is the right balance between being very versatile and being a blank canvas but also having this like a like a fixed um uh, like the minimum amount of kind of rules to it that it's like this is how it needs to work mm. and we've built a uh a public desire a public upload tool for this artwork that that lets you um draw these hit areas in your track list artwork connect them with the tracks and and upload it and then when someone looks at that record through sleeve note app or anything else that's running it it will be there for them to use. And if it's not, if it doesn't have uh, uh, the additional artwork, we we show a kind of graceful, automatically generated track list list. So mm. you can still use it and, it and it will do some color matching and stuff, which, you know, a lot of other apps sort of try that. But for me, it's not really about, it's not really about like a UI designer trying to make all this extra stuff look as mm-hmm. good as it can be. It's about saying, let the artist do it. Let the designer do it. You know, a designer has already done this really cool imagery associated with this record and Mm -hmm. so far it's just not been allowed in (laughs) to the to the experience you know which Mm. 10 years ago i thought it was was like huh and now i'm like this is this this is still crazy that it's you know it's like has to be me that that tries to rectify rectify this but you know i understand it it, it's like a ambitious thing you know to think of how many albums are uh, the sheer amount of albums that are out there Mm. um but uh, this is what we want to kind of get with this um having a public upload tool for the artwork we really want to kind of uh mobilize a kind of discogs type you know um community of people who would be uploading it as well as official stuff from labels to to get to a point um where there's like a critical mass um right because if you like rely enjoyable. on <laughs> yeah because if you rely on the labels nothing will get done well, it's it's true, and I sympathise. They're all so busy, and they've got increasingly they've got more and more things to do. I mean, I just the other day I tried to make a Facebook ad, and I can't believe how 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 horrible that whole experience is. So, it's like it's like I, I you know, I sympathise that if if another yet another person is coming with another platform that a label has to submit to, it has to be mm. the most effortless, you know, the most low barrier to entry scenario. And we're really we keep like tweaking what we're doing. And to be honest, to zoom out again, it's like the idea behind the physical device was actually to to serve as a purpose of showing our conviction towards it and and trying to get some interest of like like from a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, because software is one thing, you know, it's weird developing software stuff because it on, on one in one sense it can take over the world, and in another sense it's this intangible um, thing, you know, and mm-hmm. one 
one bug can can and it disappears or whatever or one software update and it's gone and i think a lot of people find working on software you sort of there's this grass is greener like oh if i just made a physical product that i could just hold for one minute that would be so nice you know so Mm. um when i was thinking i mean i'm kind of darting all over the place story-wise but that I'd had one eye on this square screen. What had happened originally with from my original square screen idea is that I, did, I looked into it and found that you actually can't buy square screens anywhere. And I was like, oh, that's a bit <laughs> odd. And so I uh, left it for a bit and then I came back and checked again and there wasn't any. And then I started to ask around a bit um, mm. and um, getting through to people and eventually getting through to like actual screen manufacturers and being told that the tooling cost would be like a million dollars and the minimum order quantity would be a hundred thousand units. And, and that oh itself God. would be like, you know, $20 a unit and that's the whole thing. And mm. then you're working about, you know, learn, I'm learning about economies of scale. And mm-hmm. that's, that's how we get all this tech, um, all this, all this, that's how all this, all this tech is such good value. And yes. something that we're definitely, you know, I'd, I'd love to get into this a bit more, but obviously the, the, the price that we've ended up getting to with, with sleeve note, which um, you know, does does seem more more premium than 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 people want to pay at the moment. Is mm. it, I'm on one side being like I completely understand how how we've got to this price, and mm. you know, as of as of a year ago, it wouldn't this device wouldn't even have been possible for for kind of any amount of money, which is kind huh. of interesting. Yeah, that's the that's the backstory, yeah. or at least if you've got a spare million dollars, then and you want to have you know ninety nine. 1,999 screens sitting in the corner that you're not using, you can make one. <laughs> Oops. Um, sorry. So, yeah. Um, uh, where was I going? But the software side. So, yeah. Okay. So, in the labels, it was kind of like the, 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 the purpose of, 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 of making this device um, be, be possible and kind of visualizing it, you know, making our prototype, making press shots for it. Um, putting it out there as a as a as a as a possible device that could exist if there were enough people that wanted to back it um, mm. was a the intention of it was just to show uh, the, the the music industry as a, as a whole and labels and everything that 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 I and um, Chris the guy that I work with as a company we're kind of serious about trying to put new products into the market that would get people excited about digital music as mm. a way to consume music because i think like you were saying earlier it's like there's a bit of a kind of yucky feeling going on at the moment about whether you should stream or whether you know it, it, it's and i completely understand and i always you know mention you know it's like lars Ulrich with with napster scenario it's like it's not very cool to be moaning about it uh you can't really um it's very hard to change i, I think it's changed slightly now because um more kind of eloquent arguments are coming out, <laughs> mm. but but it's a weird place to be in, just being like, oh, it's not good enough, or whatever. You just and then it's like, well, what's what's the answer? What's the solution? And I think there are there are lots of interesting stuff going out with you know cooperative streaming services and fair payment splits and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But for me, I, I wonder whether it can be done with with hardware. You know, like I love sort of tech and gadgets and industrial design and and. Nothing would make me happier that, than 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 an actual product making that behavioural change, like like having mm. a change to someone's music life, in a way that I that I am that we like to think. You know, a, a close reference is is the is the Kindle, right? So it's like 
Um, oh, yeah, I would yeah. have thought yeah. that that got more people. I would have thought that there's a contingency of Kindle readers who read more as a result of buying a Kindle mm. and and enjoyed it and were kind of grateful to this. Like, I'm glad actually that I pull out this device and all I can do is read on it. Um, and 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 that's the thing with music. I feel like uh, it's it's hard not to be distracted when you're using a multi multi use device. Is one oh, thing is is like yeah. yeah is the negative that we're trying to trying to trying to uh, you know eradicate. But there's also this additional positive that it's kind of like I'm proud to have um, a piece of te- technology like this because it represents who I am. It means I, I'm a music fan. That's why I have this 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 thing, and which is why I think people love you know hi-fi gear and audio file gear a lot of on one hand it is how it sounds but there's also this kind of like the fact that you've bought it means something to you you know the fact that you've put value towards the what it does for you i think it means that you value distraction-free listening which for Mm. me is the kind of the quintessential definition of being an audiophile or somebody who cares about sound you know the sound Mm. of the music right because anybody can listen to music but very often nowadays, and you look only have to look at Spotify's playlists to realize that music is now being commodified as an adjunct to another activity. So here's yep. a chill playlist for the beach. Here's one for your barbecue. Here's here's one for like getting ready to go out on a Friday night. You know that kind of thing. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And that I I hate to sound like a grumpy old man, but I, <laughs> that it really irritates me because I guess I. I won't say I grew up in an age, but all of my friends in my twenties and even now, we still see music as a an all encompassing experience, right? It is the main activity. Yeah. yeah. And I, I can completely understand where you're going with with sleeve note is to make it the acti- the, the primary activity. And there is no other thing, you know, that we're not yes. cooking or entertaining friends. I mean, not that those things shouldn't <laughs> necessarily have playlists. Well, I but, have a um yeah. You know, a, a anecdotal thing about that actually, because we, mm. um, you know, one thing that I've mentioned is that having a having a device like this is, you can have that scenario where someone comes round and you hand it to them and be like, put some music on from my collection. Mm. You know, what I, I've speaking to friends about this because what happens? Some you go around someone's house, you know, when you used to and will again, but it's like they would just hand you a phone and be like, choose, put some music on from Spotify, and you're just there being like, I have to choose from all recorded music of all time. Yes. Uh, you know, what to play. But there's something about, and I remember, you know, you would just leafing through someone's collection and, mm-hmm. and being like putting it on and, and like like learning from that stuff. But also like your host would know that it's all good because it's their collection. You'd be like, choose yes. anything from this, it's all going to be good. You know, obviously you might, your taste might might go to certain edges of spectrums. But, um, you know, it, it, it could, it, it's a device that, that would have that kind of effect. You would hand it to someone and be like, choose something to pay from my curated collection, mm-hmm. um, which I, which I think is, is, is really attractive. And also some, it just means that someone can leaf, leaf through your stuff, you know, and, and, and actually represent it sort of reflect quite, quite well on you as well, because it's an interesting music collection. There's bound to be something in there that even, even a, 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 another music nerd might not have known about. Mm. Um, and then it's all visual and you're like, you know, it covers that another sort of, um, thing that, you know, I've noticed with uh, digital presentation of music is that albums are always accom- accompanied by a title and a track name. So, and to me, it, 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 it sort of, it doesn't, it never works because either an album cover has a really cool 
you know, bit of text treatment uh, album name on it. So mm. you don't need the thing. And if it doesn't, it's kind of like that this is the character of this album. Like the designer and an artist decided to, that this was a cryptic record, you know, and that was, that came across in the artwork. So I, I like that, that side of things. It's like album covers that don't have the, the track or the, uh, the sorry, the um, artist or the album name on uh, have a uh, uh, kind of playing that game of being like, do you want you like, you know, like give me a go, like, <laughs> mm. like try me out and, and, and make up your own. Uh, I don't know. And I just, I love that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's the designer's um, power that they have um, that, that a lot of designers that I talk to, they've just sort of given up. They're, they're interested in designing the vinyl versions, which are kind of getting more and more elaborate really. Cause I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that's the chance to get to, to indulge mm-hmm. and the digital, they're just like, I don't know. I send the front off and, and that's it. And I, I don't really care. And, um, you, you know, so yeah, it's all that kind of stuff, but, but you're, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, record artwork is becoming, to a certain extent, a bit of a lost art form because, I mean, I know in setting up this podcast recording, you asked me about some of my favourite album covers, and I was thinking about it this mm. morning, and I was thinking about um, the first three Peter Gabriel albums that I think oh, nice. are hip- hypnosis artwork, or and especially because there's there's car scratch and melt right and if just saying yeah. that people will know what i'm talking about <laughs> and i know even though the scratch and the melt are the most dramatic for me the best one is the car because it's kind of it's really weird because peter gabriel sort of hunched down almost towards the window so like this it sort of connotes mm. a slightly distressed state or something awkward or uncomfortable yes. even though and then there's all the raindrops immaculately presented on the car's windshield yeah. and on the bonnet, right? So for me, that piece of art, visual art, is inextricably linked to the songs they're in. And now yeah, maybe yeah. that's because I grew, grew up with that, right? And this is the problem now is we're kind of having people that, you know, born after the year 2000 who maybe, and I'm, I don't want to say certainly, but maybe are not connecting visual art with music for them. It's just like the music and we just play that song and that song and hmm. it doesn't really have a visual identity you know what I mean? Well, right? it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I know what you're saying and I, and I don't want to sort of um, inter- interrupt too early, but I, I do no, think no, I, what I, what I do see is that I do think that album art is still a very powerful um, medium and is, and is still used. Um, there's still something about, you know, if somebody posts a square image, especially if it's a square image with the, with the, you know, parental advisory sticker on it, people are like, that's an album there's a new album, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's what I love about the, 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 the square format and, 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 and what that means. And I see, mm. I still see, you know, there are still, uh, very current, um, contemporary, uh, you know, what you would call popbacks or whatever that, that, that will release a track list image to get people excited about the, the songs, you know, or to announce what, what the songs mm. are. And even if it's mm-hmm. like a, a handwritten note or, or something, yeah. Um, I'm there being like, thank you. I'm there. Like, you know, I'm, I'm the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme of just being like, yes, you see, it's still, <laughs> it's still being used, mm. uh, even with brand, you know, brand new, really pop stuff, stuff that you wouldn't associate with being like, oh, y- you know, um, uh, album art as an art form world. But I, I still think mm. it's there. Um, we, uh, during, since Sleeve Notes being, been an app, um, up until fairly recently, it had like a requests, um, uh, feature so mm. 
somebody would use it, they download it, that you, you get shown your library and there might be, a f- you know, with any luck, there'll be a few records in there that were in the database, but everything else you could, you could request. So I would log in and see what was being requested. And I would really enjoy seeing a lot of, uh, you know, contemporary pop stuff, you know, like um, mm. One Direction artwork or whatever. And I'm like, I there's no judgment from me. So I'm, and then I'm like, um, uh, going on my researches to try and see if I can find some, some, some artwork for that. And there's a lot of it out there, you know, people scanning stuff in, or it's even been officially posted or whatever. And mm. it's still interesting for me. You know, there's a picture of the band on the back. There's there's the track list has got a bit more nuance to it. They've kind of done the featuring a bit better, or if there's an intermission, they've sort of given it less importance. And I'm like, I just love this. The, the whole reason I wanted to do it is like, I would be happy, uh, you know, my nine to five, if my nine to five was just like fine, was looking at album artwork and sort of neatening it up and, and, and archiving it, that would be my like ideal job, which is where this, this whole mm. thing came from. Um, but yeah, I think it's still there. Like, that's the thing. I, even every, it, all these are there's all these back covers all these additional stuff is being done for cd mm. and for vinyl and i kind of feel like in the next few years it might be that that does stop happening and and only the front's going to come out but i feel like we're still at the point um where it's now is the time to pick it up to, to kind mm. of um you know um transition it into a, a, a online version it's like let's just have all this digital art- artwork we've got our proposal of um, we're proposing a way that it could work quite gracefully and be backwardly compatible and also, uh, you know, look great for brand new stuff. Mm. Um, seems like... I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I, I, what I'm saying is is that the way most people experience artwork is on a very tiny screen and then a tiny, yeah. you know, like 50 pixel square image inside a streaming oh, service, sure, yeah. which just doesn't do it justice. And if that's most people's experience then they are not being allowed to make the connection that you or I might would prefer that they make. I you see, know, the, yeah, the yeah artwork, absolutely. The artwork is more prominent. I, I mean, I can see that there are lots and lots of labels that I see, especially in the electronic music world, actually, who really spend a lot of time on the visuals. And this kind of brings me to Bandcamp because I buy a lot of stuff from there. And I mm-hmm. see there's a guy nice. called Stephen Rutter, Rutter who used to be in... Uh, or still is, I think, maybe in an outfit called B12, who were once on Warp Records. And some of the some of the records, the records themselves, plus the packaging, and these really very elaborately produced CDs, and again, their packaging, some of the stuff he puts out is quite incredible. And I think he's a bit demoralized, actually, because I see his posts on Facebook, and he often seems demoralized by people's lack of response to right. his F efforts, right? Because he's like saying, I am doing the absolute ultimate best for you guys. And, you know, I guess maybe people just want the download. And maybe there's a, <laughs> there's a connection to be made there, well, you know, by your yeah. product. Oh, I mean, and totally. And I would hope, you know, I, I'm trying to find these people who 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 are frustrated like I am and, and mm. want a kind of better solution. Um, I think... You know, without being too, uh, like, I, I don't know. It's that Henry Ford thing of like people don't. If you ask somebody what they want, they're not gonna. They're not gonna tell you. That, it, it's just nice to kind of build. I would be more interested in building something. And be like, check this out. It's really cool. One mm. of the one of the things that is frustrating with um, the how far I can take this. It being a self funded kind of thing is that we're not we're not at at final product stage. Sorry, mm. oh, so I keep hitting my microphone. Sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> we're we're not at final product stage. So 
um we uh you know but 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 i have a prototype it kind of like works a bit like prototype mm. and even holding that we have these square screens we have um low resolution version of the square screen that if it got funded um we would we would be building we, we have a su- supplier who's going to make us these high res screens mm. but even just holding a square screen with a with a with a with an album cover on it which you wouldn't imagine uh feeling that much bigger it feels massive just because it's edge to edge and like you say you're sort of looking at it being like i'm unused to looking at albums um this big even even a lot of the um you know ipad apps even apple music on 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 the ipad you go into the player view and it's not it's not as big as it could be you know they they sort of like put it in a you know it's like slightly in the middle and it's blurred around the edge which is another like pet hate of mine it's like you know they rounded the corners and and put a blurry version of it in the background it's like this shouldn't you know without ask without anyone having any say on it you know without any of the creatives Mm. having any say on how this stuff is is presented and i think you know to your earlier point about how spotify feels and stuff it just to me it it feels like you're in some kind of discount store and there's stickers over everything and you're at a listening post and you can't you just like there's like loads of stuff to listen to and from a discovery perspective it's great it's like you've gone sort of shopping in a busy um you know noisy place and you're checking stuff out but you want to be able to take that stuff home with you and and Mm. and then spend time with it and that side of things that i was calling it post discovery for a bit but there there aren't many products um for that and i I definitely think this the sleeve note um as a a physical product and as well what we're trying to do with the app side of things is you know really works for that but the thing that uh, just so to say, the thing that kind of connects everything yeah. is the fact that 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 to to be the database that 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 has this amazing artwork in it is 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 the kind of crucial point of what what I'm trying mm. to build as a as a longer lasting kind of thing, the thing that continues keeps growing and gets to a point where labels and artists are like, yes, I will contribute this contribute to this because enough there's enough. Uh, you know, there's enough of it going on, and that's the the, the kind of challenge for us is just getting getting off the ground a bit a bit there. Mm. But um, you talk about yeah. the app, Tom. Does that what does that run on? Is that independent of your hardware or? Uh, yeah, there's an app at the right now. There's um, sleeve notes on the App Store, um, mm. which will work for Apple Music, and we're working on a Spotify version for it as well. And again, it's sort of it's just to get it's just to try and draw people in from from the mainstream into into this kind of improved experience so are you effectively like reskinning apple music with your own interface is that what's happening uh yeah exactly yeah yeah as a developer i mean for for a while now you've been able to build a third part a developer's been able to build a third party app so you can uh you can pull in uh what's what's on someone's device mm. and you can pull in what's in their apple music and spotify have an api for that as well um yeah. as do other people actually tidal do i mean and but 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 you need like a direct partnership with them um mm. uh so it, you can kind of develop these things but it's sort of there, there's the, being the distinction of being like a sort of a kind of like garden shed developer and just just knocking out an app versus being a real contender mm. i mean within the app world and software world it's that that that, that kind of there has been a bit of a chasm opening up there because it's just difficult. Much like being a musician, it's kind of difficult to be a middle ground, uh, uh, sort of creative 
on the middle on the music side and also on the on the product side you know you either you've either just got this big massive mega smash and you have millions of users or mm. it's it's so um a cottage industry that that i don't know but i mean it's like maybe it's that's the thing if 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 if, if you find us a niche enough audience that value it enough and that that can work as a as a business model or, or a form of income then then kind of happy days and mm. there is an element of that with the current proposal of of sleeve note but we were sort of you know our our, our goal the current crowdfunding goal is sort of like i would call it version one maybe mm. um is 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 at the mercy of of um the minimum order quantity that we need for getting mm-hmm. this screen. And like I said earlier, normally uh, uh, direct orders from uh, display manufacturers would be in the hundreds of thousands. And we found a supplier that would make us a thousand of them, which is yeah very low as far as they're mm-hmm. concerned. But yeah, sure. for a niche product, it's sort of fairly high. Like it's no mean feat finding uh, a thousand people um, to back a product in a kind of crowdfunding sense. So there has been a real challenge there. And I think in, in many ways... Um, I'm I'm delighted just to see the product kind of look like it's uh not well, you know to, to to for it to be visualized mm. and to have made a video for it so people kind of understand more what it is it's led to other conversations and it, and it's kind of we we're, we're working out ways to see if we can bring the cost down and we can do other things as well on the on the kind of audio um uh, component side as well mm. getting a bit more particular to that because that's that's been slightly vague um because uh essentially we we would still like to r&d that uh and so at this point it's like you can't say we can't say what's going to be in it because we we need to kind of develop it Mm. but 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 mainly trying to put this proposal out that is like you know um wouldn't it be great to see music with this additional artwork that that is what i think is missing from a sort of focused music experience Mm. and that's what this this kind of proposes so sleeve, sleeve note the hardware the um the thing you're running through indiegogo yeah th- this is basically a storage device for music you've downloaded or ripped from cds and then it provides the interface to that and it, as we've said before yeah. it's it's you know it's a seven inch ish ish square so it's obviously yeah. not designed for going out of the house well maybe out onto the balcony but I don't, would would people you're yeah. not expecting people to kind of carry it to the shops and back maybe i don't know uh, i guess not no i mean that that is an interesting uh and very valid point i i it's it i imagine it being a a, a kind of household object um mm. a home device yes but even between your power supply or your amp to to your chair mm-hmm. if if it was wired it would be a bit frustrating so that's why we've made it portable mm. it's got a battery in it um so you can sort of carry it around the house mm. um uh i mean i keep meaning to it's about the size it would probably slot into a car like din um the kind of like old school car stereo width probably mm-hmm. We can make some kind of adapter there, but um, mainly, yeah, it's a, it's a, as portable as a tablet is. So, um, mm. you know, I think you you could uh, chuck it in your bag and take it around someone else's house. Yes, uh, um, and I think I, I don't know. I could imagine imagine someone you know sitting in a park under a shady tree with it, perhaps. Sure, but it's yeah. the same as seeing someone take a photo on an iPad. Maybe it might seem slightly <laughs> seems slightly out of place, but well, mostly it's a home. Yeah, it's sort of a mm. home stereo. Um, 
device because and I've seen somebody there was you know it could be smaller but it just then 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 we're back at small screen artwork again and that's that's kind of defeats the point um I I wouldn't want to see it smaller not at all and I think you know ignoring the portable market is a good thing because that's already very well looked after by the many manufacturers like Astel and Kern right yeah and their type of like portable players right so why why try and take them on but having something yeah. that I think like for me having something in front of me I mean my hi-fi rack is to my left right so I'm sat on my couch right now in front of me is my record nice. collection but if I had a square on top of the um the IKEA Galaxy that they used to on my records that would constantly mm. display the artwork of whatever's playing right now that's mm. something that I would really value like even just as a now playing screen and right yeah See, I was looking at your product thinking, I, I know that you haven't finalized the electronics yet. I re, I'm, I'm aware of this, but I'm thinking mm. to, to really satisfy audio nerds like me, right? And I know we're a niche. Mm-hmm. You know that those hybrid headphone sockets that are a three and a half mil analog, but also double as a mini Toslink digital output? Yeah. I would love to see one of those so that I could yeah, then great. not rely on the internal DAC inside your device and feed yep. it like a true audio geek into an external DAC. Yep. So, you know what I mean? So that uh, Yeah, totally. Well, we were um uh, I mean, I we was a, well, d- digital output has always been like high up on the list of features and mm. um we assuming that I mean, digital can run out of U- the of the USB um I believe, but also um like you say a sort of an optical um headphone jack is definitely uh you know either either way we would we would be mm. very keen to get external dac yes. uh, connectivity basically like like you right. said and going back to the whole sort of now playing thing i mean it's interesting cuz it would be a lot easier to make a a kind of dumb photo frame you know a passive photo frame that just showed the cover mm. and uh i i kind of like the idea of that too to be honest um but there was something about I think that the more sort of ambitious idea of of a device that lets you kind of physically interact with all this additional artwork is is really where I think is where where the real kind of magic is to it. Absolutely. That I might have to literally get it in people's hands for them to really realise it, if you know what I mean. It's one of those because yeah. it is a new type of product, like mm. um Aside from being, I mean, well, on on one hand, it's just a square tablet, but on the other hand, mm. it's uh, because it because we've removed everything else that a tablet can do, mm. it has this other proposition to it. Um, but I guess what I'm saying with the now playing thing is that, like, yes, it would sit on top of my Calyx, but if I wanted to play a different album, I would have to stand up, go to it, interact with it, still, choose, yeah, great, choose yeah. a record, right, and then come and sit down. But it would still then be showing the the artwork or maybe it would ro- be rolling through different you know different pieces of that artwork I, I don't know yeah no it's true i mean and to be honest in its in its state it would it would work like that i mean we've um it's kind of designed so it, one one of the um kind of side effects of of us not being a an enormous tech company being able to like totally flatten everything is that it does have a have a thickness to it and it stands up on its on its edge which is quite cool mm-hmm. um and and so it it's it's very much intended to be that sort of like sits up on a shelf um on its on its side and i think mm. 
maybe some way of it, 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 contemplating sort of wireless charging element to it even so it could it could sit there and you wouldn't worry about you know plugging that side in but obviously mm. once you started to plug some things into it then it's fine but we've we've positioned the port so um that's very friendly for um you don't get wires kind of coming out of a weird side of it the wires will yeah, trail yeah. out of it quite gracefully to the side which is fun going through that sort of industrial design process but um yeah i mean essentially as as it is it's it would it would work very well there and and the thing that i do have to keep reining in slightly is is while while we're building on the database side it's like the reality is yeah that there will only be the fronts so in a, mm. a, a, the front covers so um i think it's still a very uh it's still a rewarding product to to use just for front covers because front covers look great and it just mm. has this kind of it has this additional kind of upgrade that would continue continuously improve it and like i said if you were a user um you would you would request um albums that albums that you liked uh, sorry albums that you would like more artwork for mm. and um you know at varying levels i think if if we got to a sort of a critical mass where i could go to a label and be like i, I have data of you know th- thousands of of people have pressed this button that says that they're in they're enjoying this album and they would like to see more artwork, you know, would you want to dig out some digital files from your archives, uh, you know, get a designer Mm. in for half a day and just upload it for us? Um, I I could see that being very compelling for a label. If, you know, it's like, it's like good, it's like good information, isn't it? I'm like, I'm, Mm. I'm saying that it's coming from a good point and it's not like a a hypothetical proposition. At the moment I'm, I'm having to be a bit like, you know, you should upload it because then, then we're going to find some, find some people that that would like it so it's one of the many sort of chicken and egg um scenarios that that i find myself in here but it's just keeping stuff with keeping stuff like ticking along um with with that and and i think our our latest thing actually which hoping might actually be out uh, we'll, we'll be able to get up fairly soon is actually to show uh what is currently in the database because that's very like at the moment you you would you know you you have to have an album that we've got in the database to be able to see it mm. and i understand that way around makes sense to me because it's your it's your own music library but we're, we're going to actually open up because there's over a thousand artwork i mean essentially done by me over the years mm. we have over a thousand in fact over 1200 albums that have back cover artwork that looks great and works and has this like interactive track listing to it mm. so when when we as backend admins like browse the library i'm looking at all this artwork being like oh man it's so amazing and but when a user downloads the app they'll just have to find you know that we had a setting where you could filter for like what 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 do you have that has full artwork and it would it would for most people it would be a, a handful um so i think i think it's going to be compelling actually to see this and, and in a way it could it could sort of be like a like a like a new type of indie store because you could wander into the sleeve note store and look at and look at only albums that have all this artwork and actually choose from that. Mm. So, I think that that actually might 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 be quite compelling to 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 approach it from that angle. But again, we're just sort of trying we're trying all these all these things at the moment. Did you? I mean, did I not? Did I misunderstand you earlier than when I thought you were saying that you were you were thinking about or have implemented this in that you'd have like a Discogs type community that would submit the artwork themselves I mean, can, um, yeah is that possible or is that is there other copyright issues with that well i mean on on the legal side of things it, it is there is some sort of grayness 
but mm. um it's all very it, it's kind of if if you if you had ripped a cd um you would have had a license to view that booklet that came with the cd so if you're mm-hmm. um listening to that music and being delivered in a way like you you, <laughs> you know if you su- if search google images and and then look at that booklet you're you're sort of like a licensed observer of that booklet but obviously it's yeah. on google images every, everyone can see it it's fine mm. um at the moment we 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 don't we we're, we're not like um exploiting that we, we're not um charging for that so um it is a bit of a community. It is a Discogs type thing, like the same way that, that Discogs has, has loads of album artwork that people have uploaded. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as soon as labels, if, if labels su- uh, supply stuff officially, we have terms and conditions that obviously grant us a license to officially use that. Mm. And anything can be taken down or, or replaced or whatever and, and kind of improved upon. Mm. But, you know, we're sort of in a situation here where it's like we're we're adding value to albums and I don't really see... In in a kind of like, it's not re- it's not like truly true disruption, but you know it's like, let's get all this good stuff in. We we built a really sort of um, respectful home for for this stuff. You know what mm. what the the, re- the result of a fan uploading um, some artwork uh, it, it means that potentially you know hundreds or thousands of listeners are gonna might spend a bit more time listening to this record, and then that that's good for the label, that's good for the artist. So. We don't really see any any downside. Um, the clear distinction being that we're not charging for this for the for the delivery of the of the imagery. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you're solving a fairly fundamental problem that I've complained a lot about in the last ten years is that when you stream something, there's very little to look at. Like if I'm sat right. listening to an album, like if I, if I put a record on, obviously I can see the record turning, and even if I put a CD on. Um, I can see that you know the the time elapsed, numbers yeah. moving. I can see the tracks. You know, there's there's a, still a visual display on the physical unit, right? Now with streaming, that kind of sort of disappears. I mean, yes, some some streamers have um, screens on them that show the artwork, but it's very usually very small. Um, but it's it's not dynamic. Yeah, this is it's a physical streamer yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. and it's and I think. You know, this mm. is, streaming has really eroded this sort of physical interaction, which I know you're trying to address and trying to return some people to this this sort of being more hands on with music playback. Yes, which, yeah, exactly. Which, it's me. It's me as a designer being like, you know, the design is is important. It's like you say, you kind of say to everybody, like, is our mark cool? No one's going to say no, mm. <laughs> and people love it. But it's sort of not. It needs to be like presented it, it needs to just be presented in a cool way for people to be like yeah actually this is this is really like a really compelling way to mm. to experience it um yeah i mean i think that the sort of hardware i can see it being a good companion to um dedicated hardware streamers as well or like network um setups which i know is uh you're big on that i am stuff. yeah but i mean i guess yeah the more i do this i mean uh, for example the last few the last four weeks I have streamed very little, only at my office desk. In my lounge room here, I've had no streamer hooked up and I've just had a CD player. And I've been playing CDs nonstop for the last four weeks. Because, oh, my my door is good, but we'll have to ignore my door. Sorry, I've got a courier here, but I'll ignore it. Um, Oh, it's up to you if you want to. No, 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 it's fine, really. This happens all the time during podcasts. More CDs turning up. Actually, no, it is. (laughs) It will be CDs. (laughs) I've bought like tons of them and it's such a joy to play CDs. 
And from a very nerdy, very nerdy high-end audio point of view, the CDs sound better than the stream, like even with right. the hardware, al almost always. Um, but this That's is interesting, right? Now, I d I could get into the whys and wherefores, or possibly of whys and wherefores, but um, really, I, I, I yeah. I, I don't really want to because <laughs> it tends to no pull, sure I, I understand it tends, as well. it tends to trigger a lot of people right and I don't want it to yeah <laughs> so I don't want to kind of go off on a tangent about electrical noise and jitter when we're talking about the joy what, what what I'm what I'm talking about here is the joy of a physical object a CD I know it's kind yeah. of small but the ritual of it yeah and I I was reminded of you know when I'm when I moved to Australia I took all I took like several thousand CDs with me I shipped them all out and then. That was just, you know, that was just after the Napster, the first Napster got closed down. And I kind of got into sort of ripping my CDs and then playing them back on software. And sort of they yeah. became this sort of weird relic, right? But now yeah. having lived in the streaming world for so long, I also have a big vinyl collection, but I'm just really enjoying CDs again because nice. you, you, you play, you know, you're using, you're using a physical object and this is also something very important, I think, and your your player addresses this, is what you're playing is completely private. Nobody, mm. no big corporation knows that you're playing, I don't know, the gossip. Not that I would play the gossip, and if I did, I wouldn't oh, nice. know that. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, oh, they're called gossip now, aren't they? They changed the name. Anyway, but, or, or if, you know, if I'm playing some kind of weird-ass 90s record by the House of Love or something like that. So... It's not trackable. Yeah, it's, it's, and thinking that, yeah, for more recommendations and stuff, the sort of algorithm working yeah, all the time is... Right. Yeah. So I'm outside of the algorithm and it's completely private. And I quite like that because it feels like, oh, I'm doing something in secret. And I guess maybe vinyl, I mean, well, definitely vinyl gives you the same sort of feeling. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a CD guy. I mean, I, I grew up with CDs, definitely. I mean, my... Mm my parents had vinyl and can kind of cassettes were around. And I've been thinking about this um, leading up to, to, to talking today, actually about mm. how, how those things felt because you, and, and sorry, and then yeah, CDs came along and they were sort of um, like, like had um, by, by the time I was uh, at music buying age, they'd settled into, you know, like being a good price and, mm. and um, you know, that, that sort of stuff like early nineties stuff, but you would, um, you would, if you wanted to copy a friend's CD, you would put it on cassette because everyone had a hi-fi system with, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the combined thing. Yeah. And it was never as good. And and the difference is, well, actually, and I'll, I'll explain this kind of badly. But, so, but then, like, then I had a CD recorder on here. I, I actually used to, like, rip friend's CDs. So I would just do a CD copy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the thing that would was always, even though it was a digital copy of it, the thing and the thing that would continuously remind me that I didn't have the official album was the artwork. It was the mm. packaging. And I even, <clears throat> my dad had a photocopier in his office and I would even go in and try and photocopy, make like black and white, really nasty black and white photocopies of this booklet art that would get, again, just wasn't as good. Mm. And I, I think that the quality of a CD is, is brilliant. And a lot of how something sounds is to do with the Mixing and mastering, a whole other thing. Oh, that's but, a, yeah. That's we should be clear. The mixing and mastering has a far greater impact than my nerdy <laughs> differentiation between streams and CD players. Absolutely, yes, yes. 
This is the thing, and you know, and I, I do have experience with that. Obviously, being a, a, a recording artist and working in studio and stuff. But yeah, but in terms terms of getting like ninety five percent of the way there to extremely good sounding music, um, that that t- side to me is 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 fairly well covered. And f- you know, for for people further down, like a like a like a high resolution MP three is doing a pretty good job, pretty good mm. job. But um, Although I know that's contentious, but I mean, for whatever. But it's like, um, no, it does a pr- it does a pretty good job. Yeah, I think yeah, it does. Right. Yeah, um, the the sort of artwork side of things is just nowhere near anywhere. It's like, and you know, it comes up talking about Neil Young and and, and Pono quite a bit. I'd be interested mm-hmm. to know what you think about that. But he comes at it saying, you know, vinyl is my reference point. This is what's missing mm. is the sound, and I feel like I'm coming from it from the same perspective, vinyl and CDs and saying, I think that what is missing is this other thing, is this mm. ritual, this experience, this like handheld kind of thing. And it and it's, a, it's sort of deeper than just me as a designer being like, I want you to see the cool designs. It's like, I want you to, when you go to play a track, I want you to still be in the aesthetic of that artist's work. Um, right. I don't want you to think of it as just a te- as a list of text and, as you said earlier, like the hidden track is now called track 11 hidden track. And I'm mm. like, that's so, that's such a joyless, horrible thing. <laughs> and I don't know, you know, there are some artists, it's like there's um, a Brian Eno uh, 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 release where the tracks are just called patterns or something, you know, it's like they, he, did, he didn't want to give them a, a name and that, that hasn't translated well over to, to digital. I don't even know what they've done there, but it's just like that, that sort of, um, the, the the character that comes along with using artwork is with interacting with artwork as as your as your like navigation tool right so we talk about user interface and stuff it's like you you knowing what side of the record the song is that you want to play you have to mm. look at the artwork and for that when you're looking at the artwork you're getting this you're getting this like endorphin hit of how cool the artist is or how unusual the artist is or or i don't know you know there's there'll be a picture of them or whatever and it will just be all feeding in to the experience and and i think that that's what makes it sound extra good because of that and you're and you're concentrating on it and you're thinking about all this stuff and you i don't know you you kind of want to be you know you know you might want to be that artist or whatever i obviously, obviously grew up listening to music wanting to be a musician like wanting to be on stage thinking it's the coolest thing to be mm. um and it wasn't it, it wasn't just how it sounded it was how it looked as well you'd look at they look Completely. cool in their band picture and you know and then and then and then also to get into um the credit side of things you know there is a uh, a big sort of contingency of, of people who are who are saying that you know credits has to come back to digital music it's really important it's really important I, I do agree with that but um but how how the credits look was such a big feature as well i think like reading the thank yous or um you know h- how somebody chose to be um uh represented within that within that stuff and then lyrics you know like reading the lyrics and it's coming to you know uh, uh, the, the digital services now have these like karaoke style lyric um mm-hmm. things that will play for mm. you but if you go look at a radiohead lyric sheet it's like it's almost illegible <laughs> right you know but 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 that's there that's the that's the that's like the character of that song is that you know that this song is like I don't know. It just gets so much. You get. I get so much more from seeing that that type hand typewriter. You know, scrunched up coffee ring mark image 
than you do just the text. It's part of the authorial intent, right? It's it's not yeah. just the song. It's like the way that song is presented to you. So it's the rapping. And Absolutely. I mean, you said something about like, um, well, no, actually, New Order, right? I think about New Order in the 80s. New Order mm-hmm. were made cool by Peter Saville. Um, people <laughs> yeah. bought those records because of the uh, very unusual artwork or the very very oblique artwork because the artist's name very rarely featured on the front cover. You'd see it on the yep. spine. If you were lucky, you got a track listing on the back. And obviously the most iconic is the Blue Monday designed and cut to look like a floppy disk and that the reportedly mm-hmm. lost like almost, almost a pound, yes. I think, yeah, per, yeah. per copy made. But <laughs> I think that was money well spent in the long run by Tony Wilson um, to develop mm. that band. I mean, and also because Peter Saville did all of their artwork for many years. I don't know whether the, this company still yeah. does that, but I'm not sure. I mean, it's a nice way to think about it. It's the first time that I've thought actually that like in a parallel universe, if if, if they hadn't got Peter Savile to do it and somebody somebody did them like a bad, like an actually bad cover, because some some album yeah. covers are like, like bad, good, good, bad or whatever. Right. But yeah, you think if it was uncool, if they'd made some kind of like fashion, like real fashion faux pas that hadn't aged well either, mm. like would 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 that record be as iconic and that band be as iconic and it would people even listen to that music in the same way like uh you know it's it's interesting to think about so the for me the converse of that is the absolute nadir of music playback and collecting w- was really sort of the the late 90s early noughties where people had you know like you go to somebody's house and they'd say what, what kind of music do you want to play and you go i don't know what do you got and they'd pull out this mm. this wallet full of burnt CDs with just the the title <laughs> like, like um, sort of marker penned yeah, onto horrible. the CD and it, for me and I remember this going this is just horrific this is horrible there is no joy in this there's no style or grace or elegance to this experience it's purely yep. utilitarian and it's that util- utilitarian nature is not enough right so because it otherwise we'd all just mm. be sitting on the same type of chair. Because you can sit on it, right? But the reason yes, nice, other yeah. types of chairs exist is because they feel, look different. And what we look at and what we touch changes the way we feel. I actually said this in a video that I made on Sunday, actually. Like the the oh, the, nice. the importance of the aesthetics of hi-fi gear, like art, has existed for oh, centuries. But, right. Yeah. When we look at it, it changes the way we feel. This is why we we all decorate our houses in different ways because we want the want the the feeling that it gives us every day right and oh yeah totally and you look at speakers you know i mean i i've the the my monitors are you know partly chosen for how they look <laughs> what are they no one should admit that obviously uh, i have genelex the, the kind of older genelex yeah. that were still square oh um, okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, they have that sort of They're like, like 29, 30s or something. I can't, I should, I, I, I was planning to actually get a <laughs> list of my music in the music recording studio gear if you ask me about it. But um, yeah, they're, they're, they, they they sound great though. And and mm. that is the main thing is that um, music that I knew and I and I listened to it straight away was like, yep, this sounds like how I know. And that's the, that's mm. the kind of like flatness and, and trustworthiness that you need for, for monitors. But that's a whole other I'm happy to talk about studio monitors actually for ages, but maybe I'll say. You know, I mean, let me let me ask you this, right? Do you think um, that studio monitors, so the, the the kind of speakers like the General X you would use in a studio, do you think they have a fundamentally different sound 
to speakers that I use sort of just for home listening that I mainly use? What do you think it's all the same? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're very, I mean, it's what you hear people talking about how flat they are and stuff. Mm. Um, um, the the kind of issue, it's, I think it actually depends what kind of um, sort of engineer you are in in a way, because mm. I found, I had NS10s for, for a while because mm. everyone was like, oh, you've got to have them. And they look great. They've got the white cones and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But um, they were so brittle they kind of have this brash this sort of like mid top brashness to them mm. that if you're uh, i i will make music by messing around for ages listening to something on loop over and over and over and over again mm. and i would get that kind of ear fatigue um f- from them mm. and so i uh something like the the generalics which are self-powered and, and a lot more kind of hi-fi they've got a lot more low end to them mm-hmm. um are also with being being slightly tuned with some sort of switches on the back as well mm, yes. I, i've made them they're 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 easier to listen to for longer process long, longer amounts of time which is mm. important to me um and they just sound better and the, the main thing is the low end because you don't get any low end on ns10s and it's ridiculous if you're mm. trying to get anywhere they're like mixing a kick drum or something it's just i mean <laughs> i know there's that like old wives tale of it. it means it sounds good through the through the through the radio in the kitchen or whatever and it does fine but it's like i don't that's not my main i think the thing that happened as soon as like ipod headphones got pretty good mm. the whole idea of like having to check a mono mix or or checking that it would work out of like a little tinny like or 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 a tone or whatever those ones right were. yeah um it, it's kind of less less relevant now huh um and if anything i think people you know the the beats headphones and stuff they they super uh, exaggerated lows and highs so mm. i i kind of have a setup where i can actually run an eq over over these um that give me like that classic hi-fi curve you know like you know that eq curve that you'd get in a car or on a on a on a normal player that just helps me actually when i'm mixing because like it's more like the the, the high-end stuff um i find very uh tire tiring to listen to and I think after years of drumming and being in bands and stuff, I'm kind of lucky that I don't actually have some kind of hearing. I don't have tinnitus, which is I'm very like, you know, appreciative of because I listen to a lot, especially drums, like drumming over with an amp next to you turned up mm. loud, loud enough to be heard over you drumming is, is, is you know, like way too loud. And people, all, 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 you know, live musicians should wear earplugs and I do now. But um I can, I can, I sort of, I can test. I'll, I'll run an EQ over them, which will actually help me do a, do a mix. I, I worked with a mixer on my last record, but I've mixed stuff in the past. I mixed my third record, which is great, very time-consuming um, uh, process, but but enjoyable if you really, got, really want to get stuck into it. But sometimes you just need to like, you you need to skew your. If you're trying to achieve something, like I'm trying mm. to achieve a really bright mix, I just have to turn the brightness down my end, so I'm forced to like turn it up. And oh, I'm like, this sounds good. And so when it comes out the other end, it's actually been like artificially um, turned up, which I, I actually, um, uh, if my, the guy that mixes my record listens to this, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna send me some jokey messages because we were, we've been debating about this a lot. And he thinks that, you know, you shouldn't put an aggressive EQ over, over um, <laughs> monitors, which you probably shouldn't. But for me, it's mm. actually, actually works. Like you just, it's about all these things. I think um, um, whenever, you know, I don't know if you found this, but and it happens a lot with 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 um with audio uh, communities and stuff of recording audio communities. Is that mm. 
there'll there'll be forums people will be on forums talking about the best way to do things um and then every now and again like uh, an experienced producer will turn up or they'll do a q a or something and people will be like oh my god what what did you use on this what did you use on that what did you know which happens mm-hmm. and he's the the person the producer will just be like oh i use this but it's just because it was to hand you know and i just messed around with it and got mm. this sound and now i would use something else or whatever and you sort of um you know the, the pe- people who seem to have really achieved like really great exciting sonic stuff are usually the people that just say don't follow any rules just just try things out and do whatever works for you um right which, which i find you know is 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 great advice i think because the minute you try and copy how something it never would have had anything to do with the mic how how like a great piece of music um i've got to be careful what i say here but you know what i mean like like you don't it, you, it, well, so why do you have to be careful about what you say i mean you can say whatever you <laughs> you say whatever well, you like I, no you're, you're because <laughs> i'm not I'm, i am you know it's uh my uh my interest in recording comes very much from like experimenting and usually mm. when something's when something is a bit wrong or some compressor's been turned up way too high or something is when you're like oh that sounds interesting mm. and if i was following some rules i never would have been and i know you can't you know this is the wrong attack and release time for this particular mic on this particular drum so you know it's like and i think it's just fun to fun to mess around so i think um you know back on the whole sort of like on the sort of tuning tuning of speakers it's 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 really mm. what you what you yeah like what you just trust your own instincts or stuff like that See, I'm reminded of, um, again, that Peter Gabriel 3 album, right? Which is one of the first albums, I believe, to feature gated drum, like that big 80s gated drum sound. Mm. And they only discovered that by complete accident. That wasn't a deliberate thing. That was I like, know this, yeah, story, right? yeah. <laughs> and there's a whole little pitchfork animated video about the story of this gated drum sound. And I didn't realise it. Its birth was the uh, song Intruder, I think. Um but yeah, so that this is where experimentation or a mistake led to a Absolutely. whole new way of doing things, a whole new creative way, right? Even though it's very much of a time now and you can sort of time-stamped those records pretty brutally, it's still really interesting how, you know, not following rules and just following curiosity, yeah. I guess, led Gabriel and his team down that path. And I think that's yeah, totally. And it probably, it probably, you know, it might have been a lot that they weren't happy with how it sounded. You know, I mean, I, mm. I, I don't get too, um, I don't use a great deal of sort of soft synths um, or computer instruments all that all that much. I have a Native Instruments um, uh, machine. Actually, I just use it as a controller. But every, when I sort mm-hmm. of dip into um, a lot of production software, it's just so well produced that quite quickly you can you have this amazing. Uh, sounding piece of music because you've pulled in, you know, a great uh, drum machine or even like live kit samples that mm. are already pre-mixed with this pre-mixed synth, and it's like wow. And and someone with a couple of mics in a studio is having a terrible time trying to make like a kick drum sound anything. <laughs> like you know, they're so are so unwieldy trying to mix a kick drum is is hilarious. You've just got this one mic that's just being whacked with air every now and again and trying to turn mm. that into a thing. But but I think like it's that process of being pretty unhappy with something or messing around or yeah like an accident um that you know sometimes i kind of worry that with the production software there's there's no room for you know accidents like that but then someone probably does like accident plug-in or whatever and it just messes with all the settings probably and then you've got your happy accident right there (laughs) but these yeah but this to bring it back to like okay this is a great connection here happy accidents right if i'm thumbing through Mm. say my cd collection which 
I can't believe I'm saying this, is not alphabetized and neither is my vinyl collection here. I think I've mellowed mm. over the years. So I kind of just ha I haven't bothered to do it yet. Whereas years ago <laughs> I would have done. So I can go to any particular sort of like square in the Calax or square in the CD rack and find something mm. and go, oh yeah, I forgot about that record because it's a happy accident, right? And that shit yeah. doesn't happen with streaming because everything is, you know, categorized and filed away. And this is why Rune is very good because it gives you that snap, like um, a discovery tab on your collection, right? So it'll pull in like this right. album was released 30 years ago or featured artists. So it does generate um, happy accents for you. But even that is, uh, I think it's still not the same as the uh, the original happy accent of like, just, oh, just, yeah, you know, just like browsing. Yeah, or you spill coffee on the floor, and as you're mopping it up, you look at, like, I can see the future kind of London's <laughs> life forms here. Like, oh, yeah, I haven't played that in ages. I should play nice. that. And that doesn't happen with anything but physical media or a physical connection to, uh, like, a real-life product, right? And real-life artwork. Yeah, I just think yeah. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, it's... it's uh, We've sort of... Um you know related to it as serendipity um mm, and yes you so in sleeve note i mean for both the, the software that we have in the app is uh very very much a kind of indication of what we would be building for the for the hardware device and you have this the, the main interaction is that you're you, you see a full screen artwork you can sort of swipe up and down uh album at a time but you can pinch into a grid view mm. and uh as soon as you're as soon as you're you know a couple of sort of um uh, scrolls through a grid view and you've already you know like 50 60 odd records have kind of flashed before your eyes because mm. uh, you see about nine like nine twelve or so at a time and that is the thing it's just you will you will you will scroll past something probably on your way to something else or being like what should i listen to mm. and be like i wouldn't have thought of listening to this and now i am mm -hmm. and like you said it's just come about through through the fact that you've um just had a browse around your collection. The thing is that your collection, if you've done any collecting of any sort, even if it's just hitting the plus button or liking it, whatever the paradigm is, with you know, it's like you are making this really great collection of music that you know you like, and you could dive back into it. And mm. the thing that I find a lot about um, the streaming behavior is that it's this continuously. It's like oh, there's all like you know, there's so much. Sorry, it's just a continuous like check this out. Um, we think you would like this thing and mm -hmm. you know d discovery is great and if you're in a discovery mood it's kind of great for that but at the same time there's this other like you know which i think people like you and you know i'm sure a lot of your listeners who are have that discipline with their own library know know all about that you just dive back in and um as you say it's kind of helpful that you need reminding of what you have mm. uh but you're more but you but you know you're likely to like it because you've, you've already like it's already been vetted you know it's like um it's 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 gone in and we're really trying to build like a digit some a digital version of that um i think is you know really compelling here yeah i mean i think my fundamental problem isn't discovery but it's rediscovery you know like it just yes all the all the great records that you enjoy for like several months when you buy them and then file them away and then forget yeah. about them essentially and being brought back to that oh my god i've forgotten how much i love that record is pure distilled joy for me Right. And probably for many yeah. other listeners, you know, out there, because you want you want to recapture that moment because it's not just recapturing the record, but it's also who you were, where you were, what you were doing, right? Everything at that time. It's like a little time capsule. So I, I don't want to get too metaphysical nice. about this, but yeah. there's sort of the whole bunch of emotions that play into all of this, right? 
And so, yeah. No, you're, you're totally you know. right. And, and I think I think music kind of, um, it, it kind of settles in the mind some, somehow as well. It's like, mm. I don't know, I, I get it all the time where, where a little piece gets stuck in my head and I, I, I'm like, what is that from? You know, I can't like Shazam my own like internal uh, speaker. But um, you'll, I, I stumble across stuff and I'm like, that, I had that stuck in my head like recently and I'd, mm. I'd kind of forgotten what it was, but... Um, and another thing that I wanted to say, as as you were as you were talking there, is that I, I, what I find with album artwork is that it's also timeless. Like mm-hmm. an album released three years ago doesn't have that weird, you know, because everything else, obviously, literally looking through photos or, or old posts or whatever, is like, oh, that's old, old, you know, whatever. Mm. But album artwork just it's so timeless, and it and it you know you can jump back into it, and and it's like new again for you. I don't, mm. it's, it's hard to explain, but um, I again i think yeah it just it just it ages so well and it's such a faithful aging of 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 the body of work as well because it's like it's quite common you know you might you might love a band but maybe their most recent records not your favorite or you only like uh, an, an artist's early work that's fair enough it's like mm. the funny thing is now i have this analogy that's like if you go to um you know pink floyd's uh spotify page or whatever that there'll, there'll be a photo of them you know, anybody Rolling Stones is just like they're, they're like much older now. They look a certain way. They might yeah. have, you know, but 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 the records that you liked, the pictures of them in the in the booklets. I mean, they're like in their twenties and thirties. They're yeah. looking so co- like cool, and that's the age. That's the era of that music. And I think that's why, yeah, people like buying old records because it it's, it freezes a point in time, and the, mm. the the even even the artist isn't allowed to go back and like mess it up. <laughs> you know what i mean like uh, yeah like the yeah way sure i feel somebody being somebody not aging well now um you're sort of like oh i don't need to i don't need to hear your latest stuff necessarily you know but, <laughs> but i can enjoy this this one thing where you were just kind of like on it you were sort of uh you know yeah although didn't phil collins do something odd a couple of years ago when they remastered his catalog he they he had all the front covers reshot but with his face <laughs> as it is now rather than as it was then old face yeah i think i saw that yeah that was kind of that was, i, I mean that was quite it's cool. artfully done uh, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i did a, i've done a you know i did a, a 10 year anniversary box set for my first record and, and mm. designed a new cover it's like you can't help it um but um after I did that, I kind of it's my 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 it was for my first album i i kind mm. of did a version of it that that was the letters ten which I thought was genius at the time. And then now I'm sort of thinking like, well, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's now like 15 years old or whatever. So it's that, that 10 is sort of less, slightly less relevant, but thankfully it was like a, it was just a box that the original kind of like, uh, mm. you know, un, unmessed with record is in. So, um, but that's it for me. It's like uh, albums of, uh, they're, they're sort of, uh, they, 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 they document, um, periods of artists, you know, creative output and, mm. And I think you need, in terms of a discovery as well, it's like actually revisiting records and um, some tracks that you didn't sort of get at the time can can come back and sort of get you. And you can be mm. like, how did I, I thought I'd, I thought I knew this record, but there's this track seven that is just now sort of like really working for me. I think that's because, because you change and you know, as a person. And so, yeah. you know, what, what you liked back then, you know, like how you fall out of love with records you know, you kind of think, oh, I can't believe mm. how much I loved this record 20 years ago, but now I can barely listen to it. Like, I feel this way about um, some of R.E.M.'s Out of Time, which is kind of ironic given the title. Um, 
But like, right. I, I cannot, cannot listen to Shiny Happy People anymore. Blur's song two on ah. a very, very good album, can't listen to it anymore. So it's kind of, it almost wipes away the entire album for me because I don't, I never want to put it on <laughs> because I know I'm going to have to face that track. And so, but yeah, but there are, you're right. But you might are, come back around. I mean, maybe, maybe you will come back to them as well, you know, in another Well, maybe. It's, I, I need a bit of time with, especially with song two. <laughs> song two. What did it? What what um what put you off song two? I'm curious to know. I used to run a British indie club in in Sydney, so we we like I'd organise uh, it and DJ. I mean, it was a fairly low key kind of thing, but obviously because it was British. Well, it wasn't just indie; it was all sorts of British music, like Britpop kind of thing. Um, and right. me, and then later my DJs would just they would just hammer that and Disco Town Two Thousand by Pulp, and oh, what's oh, that yeah. awful Chelsea Dagger by? The awful, awful band. I can't remember who. The, uh, oh, oh God, I can't remember. They did, didn't they? Was it the Kaiser Chiefs? No, it wasn't. Was it them? Uh, yeah, no, maybe. It wasn't I know what you mean. I, that kind of thing, you know. Certain I'm, indie, yeah, yeah. La- landfill indie. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Sorry, I think Pitchfork coined the term <laughs> landfill indie. <laughs> landfill indie. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's very yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, my my interest would would generally be more American, actually. Um, right. I, I don't know if it's because of a slight a slight sort of exoticism of um, uh, the singing style. I mean, everybody kind of sings in a in a in an American accent, or so I think I I do a bit. Mm. If people are really British about their singing, it's it's not that's not really as much up my street. But um, yeah, I think I was a big like um, fan of those nineties like Beck records and all that that kind of yeah. alternative. The US alternative stuff I thought was in, was in, was insane. Um, one of my favorite bands. I don't know if you know. Do you know a band called Soul Coughing? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think didn't they have? You do that, okay, great. The first record or the first thing that I heard, but then was about a man crashing a plane into into the Chrysler Building. Was that them? That's it. Yeah, first yeah, song. Yeah, yeah first yeah. song, first album. It's Chicago. It's not Chicago. So they they are like one of my favorite bands of all time. Wow. And, okay. Um, the the production on on those albums is is insane like mm. uh particularly the the drum production um there are three soul coffin records the first one's kind of like jazzy sort of jazzy hip hop here the second one gets like kind of alt alt hip hoppy and the third mm. one these um is like jungle and drum and bass and some of the production on that third record the drum production by chad blake who is my hero producer huh. purely because of these records is yeah. is is incredible and i love that 90s sound like that really bombastic really bombastic drums it's like almost like no reverb as well they're very like uh detailed kind of really dry um you know incredible like like just yeah bombastic is the is the term i tend to use um mm. is a great is a great era that stuff you know it's funny because i i did this british indie night more as a, a well i ran it as a business it was my sole income for a couple of years actually um but nice. that wasn't what i was listening to at home and I, I, the yeah chelsea dad goes by the fratellis i just looked it up i mean i can't a lot of cool. the music that we played i couldn't stand and i would go home and play <laughs> like a b-sides collection by the auteurs because i, I love the auteurs oh. but it would never be, get played at a, 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 a my club because it was just well that's the whole dj issue yeah i mean whenever i've tried to dj interesting music i mean someone will come up and ask for beyonce or whatever and you know, mm. and it's like <laughs> Um, she's obviously made some great songs, but it's just like the, the whole like tr- pleasing a crowd just by playing other people's music is um, very, very difficult. I find DJing. Nightmare. Yeah. 
it's just a nightmare. And I've only ever done it because I've been it offered like, you know, like it's a well-paid DJ right. night. And the the um the amount of money I've been paid to DJ has like has like inversely correlated with the amount of people uh dancing to it. <laughs> so um Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know, but it's but I you you mentioned a lot of alternative American music and I too was into a I still am actually a whole bunch of that now. But again, it wasn't, yeah, I can't go into the story of why I was into it and not playing this at a club because it's a whole bunch of personal circumstances, which is just too dull to Uh. kind of relay here. But yeah, I would be playing British indie music in a club, but then going home and listening to, I don't know, like the first two Mercury Rev albums for me are flawless. Uh. Your self-esteem and boches or botches. I don't know how you say that, but um, yeah, just very strange, weird records. And that's what I fed on on a personal level. Also, a lot of electronic music as well. So, um, mm. yeah, I guess I, I've over-explained my wanting to distance myself from basically bullshit <laughs> British indie that kind of existed in the early noughties. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, that's the thing for for uh, for, for big albums as well. I, I think that you have to, as a as a as a music nerd, you, you kind of have to justify. Uh, liking like a really popular record right so there's that yes. kind of awkward thing where you're like oh it's good because of this kind of like ironic thing so i mean i found it uh it was it would be off-putting if if a band was really really big and and all my friends liked a certain band i mean i like i didn't it's like like i didn't you know i didn't have a copy of okay computer at the time because it's like everyone else did. So if I wanted to <laughs> uh, uh, to hear it, I could just copy one, or or you know, I could just borrow it. But mm. there was something about about like being like, oh no, I I, I would like lesser known bands, and that that was kind of my thing. And right, um, it, it's that whole thing, yeah. And then if one of those bands does end up becoming bigger, you're sort of like, oh. Um, but yeah, now I now I don't, you know, it's like um, I I realise that there there are some great songs. Well, I don't know, I don't know what I'm saying really, but I think my favorite "Climbing Up the Walls" is my favorite song on OK Computer, which I would have thought is one of the least known tracks. At least I can say, you know, like uh, my taste in mainstream is <laughs> your taste <laughs> in mainstream Radiohead is more obscure than other people's taste in mainstream Radiohead. <laughs> there you go. My yeah. claim to fame. I think my fame, my favorite on that album is 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 um is Let Down. I think it's like, yeah, Let Down. Right. I absolutely love that record, but I. You know, I still think Kid A is way better, but this is again, that's a cliche now to oh, say yeah. that, right? You can't you can't say that without sounding like <laughs> like a, a real kind of indie bore, you know? So <laughs> I said, like, Oh yeah, another kid. Yeah, but I mean I do it was the right play. I was definitely there for that like Kid A, like like, you know, what the hell moment um that you were listening to it being like, Wow, this is crazy. But and it, but again it was it was so visual as well as a load like really thick booklet. I used to, I used to when I was buying CDs I would I would l- try and look through the top you know to see how thick the booklet was huh. to see if it was really really struggling to be held in by those little plastic um you know clips mm. um that was always a sign of whether I was getting like value for money on my <laughs> CD purchase or not and That's really there's funny. nothing more frustrating than it's like really wanting to like being really excited about the CD and I'm 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 walking to the to the to the till with it and I can look through the top and I can just see that it's it's just a two pager you know it's just a it's just a one yeah. sheet folded in half booklet being like oh man this better be a good record <laughs> but you know actually that's that's a really good example though like, like kid a like stanley donwood who did all the artwork he created an that's entire it, yeah. world like a little micro world around that record right because it, it wasn't just the yeah. artwork he made those little blip verts those little 
30 second animated visuals, yeah. right? You remember those? It was just. Yeah, yeah. It was the, early web kind of yeah. excitement. And I just thought that was magical. I re- I re- for me, that was like the, the peak of, I guess it's the peak of the CD era, really. Is it 2000? Was it yeah, 2000? I think so. Yeah. And I've got, to, I've got to check this, but I'm pretty sure that Kid A had, it had a secret booklet as well. If you, underneath the tray, um, there was like another, it was only on a certain certain amount of them, but the one, mm. I, the CD that I, I have, um, yeah, you, you really? clip off the CD tray and it's hidden underneath. I didn't. And, Oh, that, and then after that, I used to, every CD I bought after that, I had to clip the CD tray off just to check. <laughs> and a couple of bands did do some secret. So, no, I was going to say, until they started putting those um, those transparent trays and everything. Transparent ones, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was the thing, is that if it wasn't transparent, because the transparent tray came out and it was like, if if it was a black tray after that, you'd be like, hang on a minute, something's... Or I'd always check. <laughs> but it was usually just a, a cost-cutting thing. And it's funny, actually, that you mentioned that, because I... With my first record, I actually went full circle. I was, I was, I was so interested in all, in like special editions and you know like awkwardly shaped CD cases and they wouldn't fit in the CD rack and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And when I when I eventually got signed, not eventually when I when I got signed, mm. and it came to putting out my first album, I had this crazy. I just had this flip and I was like, I just wanted to have a black c- CD get tray because so many of all my Bands like the bands, all the bands that I like from the '90s, all their first albums had the black tray. Mm. The second one would be, and second one onwards would be, would be, would be see through. Mm-hmm. So I put that's why there's a black tray on my on my first album, even though at the time they were like it's it's n- not any cheaper or anything like that. It was this it was this like early CD aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I just wanted it to be normal as well. It's like ha- having done, you know, it being in bands and printing off. Um, you know, handmade uh, CDs, CDRs for people and all that kind of stuff and try and make them really unique and hand stamping them and all that kind of stuff. And then when it came to getting signed, I just loved this this mass production aesthetic of, mm. of there not being anything special about it. And seeing a barcode on there, that was, for me, I was like, oh man, it's got a barcode on, it's real. I've really released music now <clears throat> if it's got a barcode on. That's funny. Which ironically, I'm trying to take off with, with sleeve note, we actually remove... I try and remove the barcode now because it's obviously not serving a purpose, and and a lot of the time gets in the get, is over the top of some interesting artwork. Right, um, right. So there you go. So Tom, before we, before I say farewell, can you tell us where we can get further information or buy Sleeve Note, either the app or the hardware player? Sure, I will. Okay, so Sleeve Note is currently crowdfunding on Indiegogo. Mm-hmm. Um, which you can uh, uh, get to by, by going to sleevenote.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyone that likes what it stands for, I think, please get in touch with us and um, follow what we're doing because uh, there will be uh, uh, sort of more updates on that, I think, in the future from a hardware perspective. Right. And for the app as well, if uh, sleevenote.com um, will link you to uh, the iOS app for iPhone and iPad, which is currently available for Apple Music, or if you've got a synced iTunes library, it will whatever's in your native player will mm-hmm. turn up. Um, we're looking to add Spotify support to that, maybe other uh, platforms as well. Uh, we're having conversations there, mm-hmm. and yeah, generally just just keep an eye out. I think if you like 
album artwork and, and enjoy album artwork with your music. Keep an eye on what we're up to because we're, we're trying to sort of put a product out there that, that, that really sort of, um, you know, is, 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 is enjoyable to use and also useful for, um, you know, listening to your music and all that kind of stuff. So mm. yeah, stay tuned. Thank you so much, Tom, for your time. It's been my pleasure. <laughs> You have been listening to John Darko and Sleeve Notes' Tom Veck. This episode was produced by Nick McCorston and music came from Ben Pitt.